Welcome to Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. We're coming to you from the Voice of America studios here in Washington, D.C. Now, scholars seem to agree with the view that when it comes to Africa, the perceptions held by many in the West has always been driven by the 19th century mindset, uh, the kind pushed by early European explorers, uh, often who referred to Africa as a dark continent, explorers like Henry Morton Stanley, John Speak, and many others. But, you know, we are in the 21st century, and with all the information and knowledge about the continent, you would think that some of those antiquated myths and negative perceptions about the continent of Africa and its people would have been debunked by now. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And for many in the West, that 19th century mindset still informs their understanding of the continent. And as a result, what they see is a persistently negative, stereotypical, and sometimes uh, patronizing coverage of Africa, whether it's in academia, in development circles, uh, but especially in the media. A recent terrorist attack in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, and how it was covered by Western media outlets, uh, especially the New York Times, was at the center of this debate as Kenyans took to social media to complain that the Times was wrong in publishing photos of the dead victims. Kenyans on social media say that media outlets have double standards when covering tragic events on the continent like terror attacks, conflict, and natural disasters. So on the show today, we want to take a look at some of the ways the continent is covered in the news and how young people are using social media to challenge some of that coverage of their continent. We'll also hear from a branding expert on whether the continent could use a rebranding. Does Africa have a branding problem? This is Upfront on the Voice of America. Let's start off the show by listening to what you had to say about Africa's perception in the West. I think the media has played a role in the way people view Africa. Much as bad governance is there, but still the way the media portrays it to the world. Because when we talk of bad governance, even in the West, even in the East, the, 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 the leaders are bad. But why Africa only? I think it's bad leadership that makes the waste to have bad image of Africa. I think if the leaders have a positivity in their leadership, it will be much better. Our image will be much better. Uh, speaking like someone who is living outside, I see like racism is still there. They look at a black person like they're looking at a failure. And they think you're poor. That means your knowledge itself is poor. But this is not true. You see, we have some of the black people, some people from Africa who have achieved something, who have put something on the map. You see, so it's all about giving us chance, giving the youth chance and uh, see what they can do. There's this side of the Western media which is happy to show the always bad side of Africa, not giving a lot of time to the, the little or few development programs which are successful in Africa. They are very good successful stories to be told, but they are given a little time in Western media so that people can always see Africa as it has always been. Nine I say greetings, name of the mighty king, and I say play by the king of the bring an iron Africa is an iron responsibility, dreadlocks. Yes! Whoa, 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 whoa
Yo, 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 right now you sitting back and relaxing to my man Jackson on the upfront on the Voice of America. Outspoken, Alpha Intellect. Thanks to all of you who sent in their opinions on our show today. And we want to welcome you back. And in case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungany in Washington. On the show today, we are talking about what some refer to as a persistent portrayal uh, negatively of the continent, uh, usually found in Western media. There's no doubt that the continent has seen its share of conflict and continues to see some uh, conflict, pockets of conflicts here and there. But concentrating on these stories as the main drivers of the narrative fails to account for the major progress and transformation taking place, especially driven by young people, uh, young people like Paula Rogo, a young entrepreneur who recently moved back to Kenya from the U.S. Uh, to start her business, Kali Media. Paula says that part of her job is to challenge some of these old, worn-out narratives of the continent. She also tells me that there's a growing movement uh, of young people in Africa who are using all kinds of media, uh, especially social media, to push back against the stories that are either incorrect, in bad taste, or just straight out disrespectful. Paula joins me in the studio to talk to me about uh, the controversy, the recent controversy related to a photo published in the New York Times uh, in the aftermath of a terrorist attack in Nairobi. What was it about the New York Times story that triggered the kind of response we saw from Kenyan uh, social media users, especially uh, Kenyan Twitter? So what happened is um, the New York Times has a new East Africa bureau chief who's coming in. What happened is after the, the most recent attack um, in Nairobi at the Ducit Hotel, um, she did a write-up, as expected, uh, but they shared photography that included photos of the dead. Right, um, which is not new uh, for some Western publications. But what was different this time around was you had a platform in the form of Twitter where Africans could actually speak back. And you had a particular part of that platform, Kenyans on Twitter, who have been successful in campaigning Previously. Uh, yes, previously, right. So like in the issue of CNN. Yeah. Right. Hashtag someone tell CNN. Yes. Um, in which they were able to petition and get an apology from CNN um, based on a story they'd done a couple of years. A ago. story that reflected Kenya as a terrorist yes. hotbed. Right. Among just how media covers Africa, but here was an audience that says no. People on Twitter were asking the the. I, I know her name, I, I don't know if I'll pronounce it well, so mm. I'm not going to try. Had asked her to take down the photo. What she did was um, she blamed the photography department. Uh, at, the, at the headquarters in New the York. Headquarters, mm. And was generally how Kenyans took it, quite condescending in her response. And not to say that you can't be emotional and also practical in your right, argument. Right. We have just come from... But there was a certain dismissiveness about yeah, the reaction. And we... And we, we, we we felt it. Mm -hmm. We really felt it. And there was a sense of how dare you. You come into my country and do this. Um, and so the backlash was, was huge to the point that the New York Times had to, you know, give explanations, none of which were palatable to right. the audience. And the explanations were basically like we, we have to cover 
um, story the way it is, way you it know. Is. But the argument from Kenyans on Twitter was that, um, and in general, for black bodies around the world, um, they are covered differently, right? When the value a, assigned to yes, black bodies, right, especially, you know, you know people matters, that are suffering, right? Killings of black men in media uh, were being published constantly, despite African-Americans saying that th these images triggering, mm. right? Mm. Constantly triggering. And what it is, is that in Africa, um, the African-American black Twitter tends to push back um, or have always spoken out about how they're covered. In Africa, a lot of foreign journalists have been able to come into our continent and basically cover it freely, freewheely, nilly, right. with no one really pushing back and telling them, no, this is wrong. What's happening is this is the first time you're having, first of all, black bodies, and then also people don't respect Africa in general mm. when it comes to the coverage of the world. I saw that as an Africa editor. When it comes to coverage of the world, we are... Right, bottom, right. right. You probably so have a correspondent somewhere in North Africa covering a South Africa story. Right, or just like um, we could have... Or no bureaus. Know, I mean, you know, we had a huge terrorist attack and it was barely being covered here in the American media right. at all, right? But they will cover other things. So the hierarchy in where we stand both as black bodies and then as an African continent is not high at all. Mm. And so, so there was pushback and the arguments were valid. But I don't think... The New York Times, as well as other foreign correspondents who pushed back against Kenyans on Twitter, are used to Africans telling them, no, you're wrong. Mm. No, you can't do that. And, and you got that from the responses, the kind of interactions they were having with Kenyans on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. I think from what I've seen, a lot of foreign correspondents were taken aback. But also what's happened, the dismissiveness showed up in that they said this was now becoming a freedom of press thing. And this really was nothing to do with this with, story. Right. It was just asking her, please take down this Be respectful of, of, the dead. of the dead, our dead. And then also do what you would do right. if you were... Follow the same standards, yeah. uh, journalistic standards. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. We're talking about how Africa is perceived in the West. Some of the narratives, uh, some of the existing narratives, often negative or stereotypical, that exist in the West. Complaint being that Africa is negatively portrayed in Western media. And young Africans are using social media to, to show what they say is the real Africa. And uh, one of the stories that we're talking about is the, the recent uh, story in the New York Times. The, the story was about the terrorist attack in Nairobi that took place in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, and uh, the New York Times published alongside that story a photo of uh, some of the dead. And Kenyans on social media called out New York Times and they asked them to take down that photograph. Joining me in the studio today is uh, Paula Rogo. Uh, Paula is uh, the founder of Kali Media, a, a media company based in Nairobi, Kenya. Do you feel that uh, Kenyans on Twitter would be more effective if they allied, for example, with Twitter users in South Africa, in Nigeria, who are also very active in speaking out? I'm talking about these little enclaves that we have. For They would be more effective, actually, if they march together and have one strong African voice to, to counter some of the perceptions of the narrative that is happening about the continent? Um, two things. Number one, all these sort of Twitter enclaves, they do communicate with each other. 
they tend to be on very specific topics, but there are times when they overlap with each other. And um, I saw a tweet early on during sort of this back and forth with the New York Times where someone said, Nigerians on Twitter, you're being very quiet. We haven't heard you say anything Speak about, up. about yeah, this. Speak up. Right. Or South Africans on Twitter, you're being They're very calling quiet. out. They're looking yeah. for support, basically. Looking for right. support. Because right. it's one thing for... And then also Kenyans on Twitter, which is true to a point, tend to be elite... Um, um, more urban, urban and mm, so forth. Mm. So a lot of people dismiss them as not necessarily representing the whole com- con- country, right? And so what happens now if Africans on Twitter were the ones who are now speaking back to the New York Times? And, you know, the thing with the the Kenyans on Twitter, it's not just on Twitter. It's now expanded and mm-hmm. it's moved. To there's other a, social media platforms. No, there's, mm. a, there's a petition right now to that's been signed by, last time I checked, over 5,000 people asking the Media Council of Kenya to not give uh, credentials to the New York Times reporter. Based on this incident. Based on this incident. Mm. And the reasoning was that there was racial bias Mm. in her coverage. So how do we know she can cover us? So basically moving some of these conversations that are happening on the social media platforms to real real policy changes happening. Right, right, not finger activism. As they call it, right? <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and so now there's an argument of like, is this free, where, where is the line here? Is this freedom of press? Is this not? And I think this, these are new conversations, mm. right? Because it's about race, space, access, patriarchy. Uh, Perceptions, narrative, all these things, right? All yeah, in that yeah. It is the beginning. I feel like it's yeah. This type of conversation is yeah. happening at this point. Uh, taking control of right. how we are covered and who gets to cover us. So my baby, make you no good dollar. No good dollar. When this is upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. As we were saying, uh, many in Africa say that they have struggled and still struggle with uh, a misrepresentation of their continent and they're not happy with it, uh, that the continent is persistently portrayed in this negative, stereotypical and often patronizing way, especially in Western media. So some are pushing back on social media. Others, like my guest, my next guest, are rebranding, say that rebranding the continent is one way to challenge these Western narratives or Western uh, perceptions, negative perceptions about the continent. Clarence Kwaku is a young Ghanaian based in Canada. He co-founded a branding company based in Toronto. He joins me in studio where we continue the conversation alongside Paula. So with this wealth of uh, knowledge in branding, I wanted to find out from uh, Clarence if Africa has a branding problem and himself being a photographer, how he can uh, uh, capture accurately and authentically the African continent. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Uh, you know, as a photographer, you want to capture the moment. And, you know, when you're doing photography in, in situations like that, which are a little bit sensitive, you know, you're also cognizant of what's happening around you. So I think in many cases you see photographers stop taking pictures and try and help people. So mm-hmm. I think it really depends on your proximity to the situation. Ultimately, though, you, you want to take pictures that are tasteful, but find a right balance of also telling the story. And sometimes the story is gruesome and it's not pretty, but, you know, you are people's eyes on the ground. And so 
So you want to show them authentically what's happening. I think it's a different conversation to say, you know, whether you use those pictures or not. But, you know, your job as a photographer is to really try and depict what's happening on the ground, you know, even if it, it's a little bit hard to see. Okay, so your, your job is to depict what is on the ground. Do Absolutely. you feel you have any other responsibility uh, outside of what is happening in that moment in terms of how we will be perceived, uh, the 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 kind of images that you, you'll be taking, the angles. Uh, do you have any other, I guess, ethical responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to consider the people in the situation and, and think a little bit about the narrative and telling an authentic story. You mm-hmm. know, the thing about a picture without context is you can really swing it and, and tell whatever story you want. So, you know, when I'm on the ground, what I'm thinking about is taking as many pictures as I can to capture the moment. And then there's a lot of work that happens after the fact. So post-production, selection, what pictures do we actually use. So, you know, I think it's a different conversation to say when you're on the ground, I'm thinking about being respectful. Absolutely. I'm thinking about the narrative and how do I take the pictures with an angle that tell a story that's authentic? Mm -hmm. And then after the fact, as I start to edit them and bring them together, how do I create a picture that's that's true to what happened in the day. Is is there something to be said about the, the this argument that the gatekeepers of uh, information on Africa for the longest time have been people in the West who are detached from the continent, have no idea or no connection to the continent aside from the fact that they just want to publish photos or information for their readers here in the West. Yeah, I mean, I can see why people would argue that. And, you know, being African, I think I'm more sensitive to it. But, you know, the reality is, you know, they're covering things globally. And so I think it's a be- it's a bigger question to say from an authenticity and uh, integrity perspective, what are the principles we use when we're telling stories, whether they're from our own countries or from different countries? And I think, you know, Africa in the past, you know, the coverage has been very myopic. And so I think we're more sensitive and I think we have a voice now. So, yes, I think there is an argument to say we've got to take a step back and figure out, you know, as organizations, what are the values that we have when we're taking pictures or sharing stories of countries that do have storied pasts? Paula, as as, as an editor yourself, um, what are some of the considerations you make before you publish a photo? It depends on the type of organization. Some organizations have a whole photo department that picks the photo separately. Um, but when it comes to sort of the final product, um, you're considering the story. Uh, the photo is supposed to complement but also add to the story that's being told. Um, and give you a sense of the scene, of what's being t- talked about. So you consider about, yeah, how does it complement? How does it add? But also how will it be received? I think sometimes people forget who is going to be on the receiving end of this, mm-hmm. right? And there are many, there are many eyes that will look at it. Um, so you have to also try to think beyond uh, your, your, the audience that you consider uh, looking at it. And, and, and in and, this case, say, Western audience. Right. You have to think we, about outside of the confines of you know, the geography of right. you know, your distribution. Yes. Yes. So f- the New York Times is New York, but of course it's, it's global, it's global right. as well. Um, and I, I just think that, and it was very interesting to hear the, the reporter of the story talk about the fact that she was very detached from what photos went up. Uh, I don't know how it works behind the scenes of the New York Times, but I would like to think that if I fought for something as a writer, it would come through or like my voice would matter as part of that argument. And when she, and so I think that's what also what hit people 
would you be willing to argue for us? Do you also agree mm. that this was an issue? Uh, well? Clarence, mm-hmm. let me ask you as somebody who's uh, uh, who own, who runs a, a branding agency. Part of your role uh, in working with uh, uh, either products or artists uh, or companies on the continent uh, is to kind of show a new Africa, different image. Of, of the continent, uh, talk to us about some of uh, the campaigns you feel like w- works in, in trying to reshape how we think about Africa. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good call out because I think right now we're, we're seeing a huge influx of one, people moving back home, and we're seeing a lot of international brands really reach out into the African market. And so, what you're seeing is whether it's Coke or Pepsi, you're seeing a lot of ads that are more integrated with African culture as opposed to being exported. Um, you know, I can speak specifically from the music. Um, when we think about a lot of the artists coming out of whether that's West Africa or even Southern Africa, a lot of the music is really high quality. And so the visuals now need to, they need to match, match that, right? right? And so in the past, you'd have a lot of people going to South Africa to do music videos. Now you're doing them in Nigeria. You have kids who are coming up who are really great videographers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think what, what we're trying to do is, one, show that we can do it, but at a level that really is world class. So right. when I think about, you know, my company as a branding agency, Pepe is all about taking Western ways of working, I would say some of the world-class quality, and really bringing it into the African market and taking brands that are fantastic at their core and really elevating it. And so you know, I think that's happening all over the continent. I think we're seeing growth. It's now that there's a spotlight, and we're seeing that happen more often. Talk to our listeners about some of the things you've done. Uh, specifically, you told me about a, a campaign that you did with a, a very popular artist on the continent. Uh, yeah, so um, last year we were working with Mr. Easy. You know, I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of him. Uh, you know, definitely top five, if not top three, uh, Afrobeats artist uh, coming out of the continent who recently had a new a new album called Lagos to London. You know, a lot of the music coming out of Nigeria is really popular in London. We've got a huge uh, population of West Africans there. And so, you know, the whole concept was to take something iconic from both of the cities. And, you know, if you know anything about uh, London, uh, their double-decker red buses, right. it's just iconic. Everyone knows what it is. And in Nigeria, they have the Danfo bus. Mm. Uh, and it's really popularized by uh, a yellow background with two uh, black lines. So we said, how do we mix the best of both worlds? And came up with a concept. And, you know, we're lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with Mr. Easy and his team to build out a rollout. And, you know, it was incredibly successful. You know, the album sold, uh, you know, I think it's over 150 million streams on the album. Um, but a lot of the conversation was about this really cheeky and interesting marketing. Mm. And so we're seeing the opportunity to use marketing as a way to really call out not only the music but also our culture in a way that can be understood globally. Why is it important to to brand Africa uh, at this juncture in history? You know, I think we're going to look back at this time and and the people who didn't act are, are really going to be be sad. And I think one of the things I'm realizing is we're on the come up. Okay. And at this point in time, we're seeing lots of great media coming out of Africa. We're seeing lots of great ideas. We're seeing lots of great exports. And so I think it's really important to change a narrative that's mm-hmm. been previously there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not so much that we're doing great things and we haven't done it in the past. We've always been doing it. Now we have a voice. And let's make sure that the voice people are hearing is positioned in the right way. Because in the past, I think some of the gatekeepers haven't done a fantastic job of really telling our story our way. So, you know, I think about Pepe or the Pep, we call the, ourselves the Pepe Company or Pepe Co. is an organization that's really focused on telling African stories the authentic way. We defy, don't mean say make we break up, oh. That is to say, baby, make we no give up, oh. 
That was Clarence Kwaku, a brand strategist based in Toronto, Canada. He runs a branding agency, Pepe.com. You can check him out at Pepe.com. That is P-E-P-P-E-H.com. He was in studio with me and Paula Rogo. So Paula Rogo runs uh, Kali Media, a startup media company based in Nairobi, Kenya. So I want to thank both of you guys uh, uh, for sharing um, uh, your insights on this uh, very important topic uh, so remember that petition that uh, Paula was referring to, um, the petition that was signed by Kenyans uh, calling on the New York Times to pull down the graphic photos of the terrorist attack uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. Their complaint basically was that by publishing these photos, uh, the paper, the New York Times, failed to show respect for the people who lost their lives during the terror attack. And the petition called on the country's media council to sanction the publication and its reporter. That's the reporter, uh, the New York Times reporter in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. So Josephine Muthengi is in Nairobi and she caught up with the people behind the petition and she had this conversation with them. Right, so this morning I'm sitting here with Nyagudhya Kabari and uh, Mudoni Maingi. Nyagudhya is a lawyer, Mudoni is a marketer. We're going to be discussing uh, some of the coverage that took place by various local and international media following the deadly terrorist attack here in Nairobi at the Ducid Hotel. There was an article particularly by the New York uh, Times uh, which caused quite a bit of outrage. It depicted uh, images of dead bodies, of injured people, and a lot of Kenyans uh, took to social media to react to this article. So I want to see first uh, what were some of your initial reactions when you saw the New York Times tweeting and posting up these pictures. Um, so I think for me it was, it was from a very personal level. So I had people that I knew were in the building, friends um, that were in it. And so at the time when you were going over Twitter, you were looking for information on the attack. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is I saw the New York Times article float by, clicked on it, and the first image, the header image, was actually a picture of dead bodies. And then it, as it progressively went on, it was injured people, more dead bodies. And so it became a thing of dealing with the trauma of knowing your friends are in there, but also trying to see are they actually in those pictures because it, it happened as it was ongoing. Right. So it was as the attack was ongoing, it wasn't necessarily after the fact. Yeah, and I think that was a very shocking thing for people because, you know, we didn't know if these terrorists had been caught or alleged terrorists had been caught yet. Like you're saying, uh, people had loved ones and friends in there. So as this is going on, you're seeing the images. What was your initial reaction? For me, it was, uh, okay, I didn't, I didn't have anyone in the building. The, um, but the thing that bugged me the most was the feeling of helplessness, that you're sitting in the house for in fact, as she said, you're just following Twitter, looking for information. And at the time the article was aired, actually, we weren't sure that it was a terrorist attack because the purpose of the article was to inform people that mm. Al-Shabaab has taken ownership. So there were rumors that Al-Shabaab had taken uh, ownership, but at the time we didn't know. We're just All I knew was gunshots in Nairobi. Uh, there's been an explosion. So we are trying to call... Oh, wait, I did have family. <laughs> yeah, Trying to call friends and family, but also just that whole idea of... I'm sitting in my house wondering what's going on as in, and trying to get a, a picture of what's going on and then this article pops up and it doesn't really add value to my life except to confirm that people are dead. Now it's up to you to figure out who the dead people are. And 
in addition to that, her, her response when she was asked to take it down from me was what acted me more yeah. than the pic. Like the pictures were illegal as it stands, but her response and her disregard for Kenyans was just like, no. This so we're is talking our country. about uh, the editor, the East Africa Bureau editor of the New York Times, Kimiko, who people started to attack her quite personally uh, as well. Uh, so just as one of the big debates that came out of that is that how come we don't see such coverage when mass shootings take place in the West or in, in other countries and yet you know people felt like Africans it's okay to exploit us but for them they don't cover such images when they're reporting on I mean they tragedies. do cover it mm -hmm. they do cover it but they cover it after the fact and they provide warnings so you don't open an article and just immediately find yeah. a header image of dead bodies as an attack is ongoing as the facts as Betty mentioned remain unconfirmed so I think the issue here is that when coverage is on Africa on black bodies on brown bodies those sort of regards completely fly out of the window. They do not exist. But when you're dealing with um, a case that is predominantly West, um, where perhaps it's more sort of privileged bodies that are under attack, there's a lot more consideration that's put into the coverage. So it'll happen after the fact. They will, they will publish the pictures. It'll happen with the warnings around graphic images, whereas in this case, that was not the case. Yeah. Uh, Kenyans on Twitter, aka KOT, have gained quite the reputation in terms of when they speak out, they, they really speak out. So what were you hoping to achieve when you decided to, you know, share your, your views online? The thing that, okay, at least Noni and I were hoping for is to follow due process because um, Kenyans on Twitter, as active and as proactive as they may be, we don't have the reputation of actually following through and in this case the law was broken like it's not we were not catching a feeling for you know for, for no good reason the law had actually been broken and people had been hurt in the process and when we pointed it out to her she shrugged us off and told us go and talk to the photo department and so what we were hoping to achieve is to finally follow due process yes you complain on twitter but go offline and do something follow it up with action follow it up with something tangible that you know we can follow through and actually effect change so to speak yeah yeah so when you look at the media council of kenya and their stance on this they uh, state that publication of photographs showing mutilated bodies bloody incidents and abhorrent scenes shall be avoided unless in the public interest and a lot of people felt like this was not in the public interest that it was sort of uh, exploitation do you think uh, kenyans went overboard with their reaction I don't think so. Um, I think that ultimately, when it comes to legislation and rules that govern how we conduct ourselves and behave, not only as a public but also a journalist, it's always a social contract. Mm -hmm. It's that we all come to an agreement that this is what is acceptable within specific bounds. And so in this case, this was not a question of freedom of press. It was literally a question of if you are operating in a specific space, then protecting human dignity is something that is expected. Um, having, having the same process that you follow in other parts of the world is what is expected. And so, yes, when you do get your licenses to operate, then that is just an expected um, norm. Right? So I think to say that you have gone overboard to protect your human dignity is something that I struggle with as a question. 
um, what's, what exactly is overboard. For the longest time, anybody who has resisted being mistreated has always been told they're going overboard, right? Mau were called terrorists, um, the Black Panther, anybody that you think about. And ours is not as radical as, in comparison, it isn't. But you, anytime anybody says, you know, your foot is on my neck, the request is always, why can't you ask me nicely to remove it, right? So I think in this case, um, I wouldn't put it as going overboard. Yeah. I don't think we went overboard. I also think there's a lot to be said for when black people, unless black people raise their voice to like a really high decibel, it never gets heard. So it's the ones of you need to do twice as much to get your complaints heard. And even in our, in our case, even the twice as much that we did, we were still brushed off. And the interesting thing was, as Noni is saying, as you come and you apply for licenses, there are laws that apply to those licenses. You're licensed to work in Kenya under certain terms and conditions. Uh, so as Noni said, there are rules and laws that govern your license. And the interesting thing is, in fact, by their own admission, there's an article they published where they explained why you don't see bodies of Marines. And that's because under American law, you cannot publish the body of a dead army um, soldier or Marine. Like, you'll never see a short Marine or a, someone whose leg has been blown off if they're in the Marines or in the army. Those photos are never seen. And they respect that. So they come to Kenya and we're you're given terms and conditions, and they completely disregard it. So do our laws not matter as much? Like, it begs a lot of questions, and it also goes back to even our, our laws have said something, and you completely disregard it. So we have to raise our voice and say, no, 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 this is how we operate here. And if you don't want to operate within our laws and within our legal system, then you can go back. It's fine. Yeah. So t talk to us about the next steps that you took. You mentioned uh, the next steps. So after the social media uh, backlash, you guys went a step further. Talk to us about what you decided to do there. Um, so just a brief background. What we decided to do was issue an official complaint to the Media Council of Kenya, um, specifically against the bureau chief, the journalist. And the reason for this being, MCK had already put out notices um, for New York Times. And so for us, the only other thing that was left was actually seeking, seeking sort of recourse from the person that caused um, the issue. And so with a complaint letter, I mean, it would have been fine for us to hand it over as just the two of us. But considering that this was something that was in public domain and that the public felt really strongly about, we decided we were going to have a petition. And not just a petition, but also actively educate people that this was not something against press freedom. Because journalists, even in Kenya, operating in Kenya, have actually gone through the same process before. And it hasn't necessarily impeded on, on any press freedoms from contemporary times. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we put up a petition with all the facts and the complaint as well. And we had about 5,000 people sign it. And we also collected another petition that was going around asking New York Times to pull down the photographs. Did you wrong? That be why I didn't sing this song. Loving you is all I want. I just want to let you know, man, I miss you. And with you. that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to all of you for joining us, uh, for tuning in, whether you listen to us on our social media platforms, on the web, on our podcast, or on radio. We also want to thank all of you who sent in your opinions we always love to hear 
what you have to say about our topic of conversation. Remember, you can connect with us on our social media platforms. You can follow me at Upfront Africa. You can also follow Joey at uh, Joey underscore Muthengi on Twitter and on Instagram. That's J-O-E-Y underscore Muthengi, M-U-T-H-E-N-G-I. Also remember to check us out on Facebook, keywords Upfront Show VOA. That's Upfront Show VOA. Like our page, share with your friends. And I'll catch you here same time next week. Remember, as the African elders say, if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. My name is Jackson Vungani. Goodbye, Africa. Yeah.